Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Charlie's Angle. I am your host, Charlie Crable, and with me, as always, is my co-host, producer, and show sponsor, Jeff Pitcher. Hello there. So, yes, we are coming at you with two episodes this week. We want to thank Abby Ballard for sitting in with us on uh, Tuesday as we talked about the fallout um, as as far as the governor of this state of New York uh, withholding nursing home deaths in an effort to shield, you know, so that the feds wouldn't get a hold of it because the problem was a lot worse than it actually was. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. And you know what? There's a couple things since then that I was glad to see as a development. And the biggest one is, and the, the reason why I bring it up is because I need to correct myself because I said something wrong on Tuesday is I made the assertion that the Biden Department of Justice would never come after Cuomo and it just got reported yesterday that uh, the Justice Department and the FBI has opened an inquiry in Brooklyn um, to what's going on here. So apparently the feds are taking a look at it. Uh, anyways, before we get going uh, today, we are going to be continuing our series on the Libertarian platform. As we've said all along, you know, one of the things we wanted to do with this show is to educate and not just sit here and gripe and bellyache about things that are happening and be reactionary. Taxation is theft. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, that kind of thing. Or, or just, you know, I mean, griping about things that everybody else is griping about. Uh, just a review. We're doing this because there have been a lot of false statements that have been made about the Libertarian Party, particularly like the former CIA director under Obama who lumped us in with alt-right extremists and domestic terrorists and everything like that. And we feel that people are being purposely misled on what the party is all about. So one of the things we thought we'd do is we would educate. Uh, we'd also like to hear from you. Uh, you could get us on our Facebook page, Charlie's Angle. Uh, you can also email us at charliesangle1776 at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can message us through Facebook, too. Uh, the one thing that we're really, really asking for, though, is because Facebook has apparently changed the algorithms and our posts, links to the show and stuff like that are not as visible as they used to be. We were just talking about it before the show. Um, we're doing our best to try to get things out so you'll see them. But it would be really helpful if you guys, you know, you know, shared it along your pages to get the reach out, to get the word out. Uh, we get a lot of I get some fit positive feedback um, from people and I'm glad to hear it. But, you know, that's we're trying to build the audience and we're just basically asking for your help. I mean, we do this for free and, you know, we do this, you know, to you know, to give another perspective of the news and, you know, events of the day that are happening uh, from a libertarian perspective. And, you know, we just want to get it out there. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is also limiting our ability to boost our posts. Yes. Uh, that's not necessarily a political thing. It looks like it's it's happening across the board to anything that they might consider news and not be like one of the top like news platforms. Yeah. And like. I, I and I can assure you that, like, I mean, from the times that I've worked in newspapers and stuff like that, especially toward the end, one of the challenges that we had to boost the to get the reach was actually trying to work our way every time Facebook changed the algorithms. And it was a never ending change. So it's I don't want anybody thinking, oh, here comes, you know, commie book again. Now, this is just something stupid that happens across the board that, you know, liberal liberal sites have actually reported the same issues. So, um. So what we want to do is we're going to, we're going through very extensively. Uh, there are three main platforms of the Libertarian Party. We are on the uh, individual liberty, uh, personal freedom, um, which is really you know we're titling these episodes. It's all about you because that comes to the heart of what the Libertarian Party is all about, and that is protection of the smallest minority, which is the individual. And we already talked already about how individual rights are civil rights. They lead to equal rights. Um, 
But now we're actually going to be getting into a very, very interesting topic, and I think it's apropos given some of the things that have been happening lately, and this is about uh, crime and justice. Um, there's been a lot of talk about you know, stuff like defund the police or getting rid of the police altogether, abolishing them. Um, there's also the misconception that you know, libertarians believe in a lawless society and that, you know, anything goes. And that's actually not true. And as we go through this, um, this is really the platform itself is way too long to read to you at once. I have it on my notes just so that it was more for me to write them from. So I it's I mean, this thing is like several sentences long will lose you right away. So what we're going to do is we're just going to jump right in and we're going to go through this platform piece by piece. So what I'm going to do in each section is I'm going to read you that portion of the platform and then we'll dive right in. Okay. So section one, we want to start here and I'm quoting directly from, and look at you, we're, all of this is taken, most of this is taken directly from the Libertarian Party website. You, we're doing the work so you don't have to, but if you don't believe us, go right to the website and you'll see what we're talking about. So anyways, the first section that we want to talk about from the platform is, and I'm going to quote from you, government force must be limited to the protection of the rights of individuals to life, liberty, and property, and governments must never be permitted to violate these rights. This is what falls under of what they call, um, you know, constitutional policing. This is where we get into, you know, what happens with police brutality when this part of the platform is not. So we're going to get into that. I want to start off with something by a law enforcement consulting company, um, Power DMS. And I quote here, constitutional policing promotes a keen awareness of the civil liberties to society. Police forces shouldn't just be asking what the Constitution allows them to do. They should be actively working to protect the civil rights of the people they are policing. So, and this is what, you know, Cornerstone Legal Group, you know, specializes in civil rights violations, also adds to this by saying police brutality happens when officers utilize unnecessary force or threaten to when questioning, investigating, arresting, or transporting a subject. Interestingly enough, we've seen a lot of cases of police brutality in all of those areas, you know, you know, uh, people who are dying, you know, because of violent encounters with police, uh, you know, something happening when they're transporting a subject that that suspect that, you know, they don't arrive at the police station in the condition that they were transporting there to. We've had a lot of that. So, and the thing is, is that consequent, I'm going to continue with what Quarterstone Legal Group says. It says, consequently, unlawful force directly results from officers abusing their positions of authority. These illegal actions often result in other civil rights violations, such as improper arrest, false imprisonment, and malicious prosecution. So, the thing is, is that what, what you have to know just going into this is that and and one of the this is the biggest problem that the libertarians have with our criminal justice system is that we believe that it's inherently flawed and that it needs to be reformed you can jump in anytime you want Jeff. so it's not just me but I, basically if you're looking at it the system is set up to work against civilians which makes knowing what your rights are that much more important because here's the thing the cops are counting on you to not know them that's absolutely accurate yeah yeah and they, the, and anyone with any with any interaction even being pulled over you kind of get that um you kind of get that sense well and i mean a lot of stuff you know i mean and i've seen it over the course of you know like when we're trying to interview witnesses to crimes and stuff like that that you know even the cops will go as so far to say like you know we could charge you if you talk to the media or something like that i mean and, and it's just you know you know they they 
you know, this is, you know, because here's the thing. They are, their number one job, which I get it, you know, is to, they're assuming that you are guilty. You know, and that's how they're coming at it. So, and the thing is, is like, like I said, they count on you not to know your rights. So, like, here's the thing. When you're stopped by police, you have the right to say nothing. Okay? You do not have to answer a single question. You have the right to refuse and consent to a search of your person, vehicle, or home. So, this is the one thing that comes in there. I smell pot. Hmm. Therefore, they're like, I, you know what? Refuse. Make them get the warrant. You do not, you are under absolutely no obligation to help them out. And they're going to try to trap you because they want to get it, make the arrest. Okay. Now, if we made drugs legal, then this wouldn't be an issue. Well, anyway. it really wouldn't be an issue. I at smell all. gun. <laughs> yeah. That, may, that doesn't work either. But the thing is, if they're smelling gun, that means you probably used it recently. And I smell hops number nine. You clean your guns. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Here's the other thing that I bet you you don't know. If you're not under arrest, you have the right to leave. So basically, you could sit there. If, if, if a cop is just trying to probe you for questions or anything like that, you have absolutely right to ask if you're being detained or if you're being you know, under arrest. Because if not, you are free to leave anytime you want. If you are under arrest, you have a right to ask for a lawyer immediately upon arrest. So immediately, if say we're placing you under arrest, we are charging you with this. The first thing that you need to say is immediately you want to talk to a lawyer. And you'll see things on, on television. Unfortunately, a lot of people get their um, – the way police act, they, they kind of get the opinion of how police act from television. Mm -hmm. And if you threaten to leave if you're not under arrest, then they threaten you with obstruction of justice and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. They don't have anything on you unless you have committed crimes. Well, and it's one thing that I always saw, too, um, in, in, like, police blotters and stuff like that is that, like, I see people who are facing charges solely of resisting arrest, which go comes – well, if he, you had to arrest him on a charge – but if all you're charging him with is a, a re resisting arrest with no other probable cause, that's an illegal arrest. An arre illegal arrest yes. should be. And uh, you know what? It should be challenged in court. This is the other thing that other people need to know is that you, have a, you do have rights regardless of your immigration citizenship status. So the thing is, is that you are under the protection of the United States. You know, it's, it, it applies like, you know, if, if I'm an American and I fly to another country, oh, I am an American flight. I'm, I'm subject to their laws while I'm there. Anybody who's here is subject to our laws. So, I mean, do they necessarily have the same rights as citizens? No, but you do have, you know, and I think a lot of this, what's happens with, you know, unsolved crimes and stuff like that is that people are so afraid, especially in the Hispanic community, that people are going to be probing into their you know, immigration or citizenship status that they're afraid to say anything or cooperate for a crime because they don't want to be prosecuted for, you know, some sort of immigration violation. So that, I mean, it just is, you know, it creates a bad situation. So, I mean, those rights you can actually go, you know, with, know those things. Now, I, we look back and this is just a, pro, this is a project on government oversight, October, 2020 report. That came on and they cited a study, the National Police Misconduct Record Recording Project analyzed 8,300 credible police misconduct accusations against. Now, we're, now, note the word is credible. So they're, they're, you know, everybody who gets arrested likes to blame the cops. But this is the credible stuff. It involved nearly 11,000 police officers from April 2009 through December 2010 and found that only 3,238 of those cases resulted in any legal charges. Um, 
it's in dispute. You know, they can't. They're they're basically finding that it's unclear if each misconduct allegation would have resulted, could have resulted in charges, but. It is also undisputable that police officers who are charged have better outcomes than ordinary defendants. Of those officers charged in this study, only 33% were convicted and only 12% were incarcerated. By comparison, 68% of ordinary felony defendants who are charged and are convicted, and 48% of them are incarcerated. So that's what they talk about, this blue wall of justice that goes up. Anytime that happens, it's like, you know, these are separate sets of laws that are being, or standards that are being applied here. Um, and so this actually comes into the thing about, you know, this quote that a lot of these people will say, which if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have to worry about it is a dumb argument. That's, that's what they said about the Patriot Act. Well, <laughs> like, oh, well, what do you have to worry about unless you're hiding something? It's the same kind of mentality. It's the same emotional argument, at least. Well, and my argument has always been it doesn't matter if I'm hiding something or not you know what, you still have a right to have, you know, not have your civil rights violated, you know, for any of this thing. So it's like, you know, and, and, and let's also face it. If you get pulled over and look at, I will cite this as a, you know, one of the craziest examples is that when I got into my car accident in 2019, it was a pure, no fault accident. Okay. The cop still felt the need that he had to ticket me for, leaving the roadway or anything like that. I mean, I, I don't remember what the, the details of the accident. I, I, I basically passed out behind the wheel and just drove off the road. Oh, okay. Nobody, I was the only one hurt. No property was damaged. No, nobody else was hurt or anything like that, but they still felt the need to ticket me for that. Hmm. For like, you know, really earning that paycheck fa failure to stay in lane. And I mean, I'm just but the thing is, is that it, it, it leads to the appearance that if a cop pulls you over or if a cop responds to something like this, they feel the need that they have to charge you with something. And that leads to that statement that, you know, like, OK, all they really are revenue generators for the state. Fortunately, that ticket got thrown out, but I was just but still, it's still to waste time. And did you have to pay for the fees when you went to court? No. OK, good. No, I didn't have to pay for the fee because it was everything was ACOD and everything like that. So, I mean, it was but at the same time, it was just that annoyance. It's like, OK, I'm lying here. In Wait, what, what, did, what did the Ocasio-Cortez have to do with that? ACOD. It just, it just like, yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but then I started laughing. I had to. We, one of these things I'm actually thinking about doing is just doing the dumb AOC quote of the week, just because I, I, I don't think that there's been anybody dumber in Congress. Uh, maybe not as outspoken and dumb at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, maybe, <laughs> Chuck Schumer's kind of an idiot, Yeah, too. he's kind of an idiot, too. So is Mitch McConnell. Yeah, like they all, all are. Yeah. Man, even uh, Crenshaw, man, he's... I know. Yeah. I he, you know, just because you have an eye patch does not make you badass. He's a he's a seal. That's cool. Yeah. Like I mean, you know, you got to give him that. But uh, at his um, I prefer my congressmen who have both eyes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's off topic, quick. But yeah. like with all, with everything going on in Texas right now, um, he whenever there were these blackouts in California, right. he was like really snarky about the California power grid and all that kind of stuff. And now that's happening. He's like, okay, so he's. Not only is he um, a congress a congressman, he's also trying to maintain some kind of a uh, creator influencer platform. Okay, and that's actually yeah. going to be a problem with our all politicians going forward. I think just I think so. with the way the world is, but it is. Yeah. But it, all right, so we're going to 
circle. Does back. look like a porn star villain though. Yes, he really does. Or a villain in a porno. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah it's some one of those. Things. I know he got. I know he got mad about that and whatever on SNL. But that was one of the only funny things that show's done in the past two years. Yeah, it's been. I don't watch it anymore. But so, so the, anyways, we go back to this. You have, you haven't any, done anything wrong. You don't have to worry about it thing and about how, you know, the cops are looking to get you. So they said that there was a two. Th- this Wisconsin law firm I found had cited a 2016 study, and what happened here it is it asked 188 judges, state attorneys general, prosecutors, public defenders, police chiefs, sheriffs, to estimate the prevalence of wrongful conviction in the United States. Seventy-two percent of them estimated that let that at less than one percent but more than zero received a wrongful conviction but here's the thing it seems like a small amount but it results in about ten thousand wrongful convictions each year and it's due to the people not recognizing their rights and you know with their civil rights because if they could find a way to violate your civil rights they're going to find a way to get you convicted and you know charged so but the thing is is that these estimates are also not on minor crimes it's like charges like arson, aggravated assault, burglary, forcible rape, larceny, theft, manslaughter, motor vehicle theft, and robbery. They're all crimes that can result in a felony conviction and long-term imprisonment. So this is what you're talking about, the tenfold. You know, this is not like, oh, we got the wrong guy for shoplifting or something like that. It's like we got the wrong guy for rape. <laughs> you know, that's pretty serious and that's pretty significant. And listen, if one COVID death is a big deal, then I'm going to say that these are every time that there's a wrongful conviction of this, it's a very, very big deal. Yeah, and that's a problem that we actually have full control over or or could have full control over. You can't really have full control over a virus. No. You can have full control over how your system of justice works. Absolutely. And, you know, and, that, and that's the one thing that actually I'm finding when you go through this platform and you guys are going to find as we go along through here is that – the laws of criminal justice are there to protect the individual. They're not there to protect the state. The, the, our crime and justice laws should be centered around limiting what the states, you know, you know, and I'm talking about the state. I'm not talking about New York. I'm talking about the government, you know, and, and I, I, this is one of the things that I think that this topic is so important for people to understand is that these laws are not, you, you should never, ever, ever be in support of a law that makes a cop's job easier. As a matter of fact, it's we really need to make law enforcement, we need to make their jobs that much more difficult because we need to make sure that the right people are being punished for the right crimes and that it's an adequate level. Of, you know, that's the other thing is the oversentencing and harsher penalties for all this stuff that just it, 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 our, our system is flawed and it needs fixing. And you'll see as we go through here because I'm ready to move on to Section 2 here. So I'm going to this is the quote again from uh, the platform which it says laws should be limited in their application to violations of the rights of others through force or fraud or to deliberate actions that place others involuntarily at significant risk of harm. Therefore, we favor the repeal of all laws creating, quote, crimes without victims, such as gambling, the use of drugs for medicinal or recreational purposes, and consensual, transa- or consensual transactions involving sexual services. We've talked about a little bit of this before, but we're going to go through it again because this is, I can't stress that, that one of my favorite libertarian phrases is no victim, no crime. If there's no victim, there's no crime. The label of crime should be limited to actions of force or fraud against another individual or group. Libertarians believe that those crimes should be prosecuted and punished by our justice system, but the actions that don't involve force or fraud should not be criminalized or penalized in the first place. So let's define the victims are those who have been harmed by another individual, whether it's to their person or their property. 
so that goes also to the main thing of don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, everything else is fine. If it's not doing that, it's fine. There are basically, and I'm going to go with three main things that we're talking about here with victimless crimes, and I think that they're perfect examples. Well, the first one is gambling. Okay, you have a lot of, let's go into, first of all, that like gambling has since really become like a multi, almost multi-trillion dollar industry, and it's become so corporatized and stuff like that, that I mean, it really is nothing more than a big business right now. The other thing that also makes no sense is that, I mean, until the state, you know, legalized casino gambling at certain sites a couple of years ago, you know, it made no sense that like it would be illegal for me to go to, you know, play a craps table at somebody's basement in Gloversville, but I could drive an hour and a half to Turning Stone and it's legal. Uh, if I understand this correctly, it would be legal for you to go play craps at their house. However, the house cannot take any money. Right. So if it's just for fun and the winner buys pizza, that's different. That is different. But if I'm running, you know, with little tables and stuff like that in my basement and stuff like that, that could be a very, you know, and, 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 and you know, the prosecution. But the thing is, is that, like, I don't, you know, getting get, and gambling is really one of those tricky things. It's it's actually you you can make actually an actual argument for no vic, for that there are victims of gambling. Because it could wreak havoc on family finances, and that's by. But the thing is, is that and you can say that with almost anything, though. You, you can. I mean, like that's why alcohol should be illegal. Yes, I mean that's. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that. <laughs> uh, you you can. You know, and that. But the thing is, I also want to get back to like what we talked about a couple shows ago. Is that just because the libertarians, we libertarians, feel that something should be legal, does not necessarily mean it's an endorsement of this activity. Right. Yeah. You know, can, can you scoot your right a little bit oh, so you sure. can get the mic? Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so. Um, you know, the, the, the number one thing is that the act of voluntarily placing a bet doesn't make the better or gambling outfit a direct victim. Okay? It, it, it really doesn't. It, what it is is an exchange of cash between parties. So the thing is, and the government should not be interfering, you know, should not be interfering with, the, you know, the thing is, is that does, it's not the government's business if I go to the Saratoga Casino and Raceway and I, I, I put, no, I knowingly put $20 into a machine knowing that there's a chance that I could lose all $20 or that there's a chance that I could win $200 on the machine. Okay. So it's, you know, but the thing is, it's still a voluntary exchange. I'm exchanging it for, yes, it's a game of chance, but it's still just, it's my money. I should be able to do what we want, you know, with it. But, but the thing is, is that what's also happening is that, like I, like I said, there is an argument to be made that there's victim if the gambling devastates family. Fine, you know, you know, my son can't get his medical treatment because dad spent the last thousand dollars, you know, at the racetrack or whatever. Which actually, that's the other thing. Why is it legal to go to a race course and place bets on horses? But yeah, I mean, it's different now in the state now that they've pretty much legalized, you know, casinos and stuff like that. But I'm, there used to be a real double standard hypocrisy. Did the track take anything from each bet? Oh yeah, I've never placed a bet on a horse. That's a huge. That's a huge part of the revenue. Is interesting. The, it, you know, so well, if I'm you, placing a thirty dollar bet on Sea uh, Monster Travesty or whatever the name of the horse is, yeah. um, then they take ten dollars of that bet or whatever. Well, it, is. It, it well, what it is is that they take a of the total take of that bet, the house gets a oh well, so so it's determined by the the winnings of that bet. Yeah, because you're not the because they're not paying out as much as they're taking in. Oh man, so if I have a losing bet, I just lose the money and they don't take anything from it. Yeah, interesting. 
But so it's just I, I, mean, I, I might do a lot of work in Saratoga. I know shit about horse well, racing. Well, and I mean it's the same thing like with the casinos that they have there and everything like that. I mean, you know, the the they're they're run by the New York State Lottery. You know, so the, I mean they once they legalized casino gambling in New York State, they did it after making sure that everybody was gonna get their piece of the pie. Right. You know? And they're making it so it's it's a it's a state job if you work there. You're not it's not like you're working for a not at Rivers Casino because that's one of those full fledged ones. The one at the Saratoga Racetrack, though, the Racino, it's similar to what they had at Harness Tracks in other parts of the state. Okay, those are the ones who are actually like state lottery employees. Okay, I got you. I've only been to Rivers, and I've only been there to do concerts. Yeah, River yeah. Rivers is about as close to like an actual casino like you would get at Turning Stone or Salamanca. Is it the perfect, perfectly Schenectady style casino? Yeah, because yeah. the people I saw there were definitely from Schenectady. Uh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I hope I hope we have listeners from Schenectady, and they're just going to come and find me. And protest. <laughs> but, okay, now, the other thing that we're talking about, you know, and I don't want to say that libertarians are sort of like, well, people who got to, you know, what I'm thinking of is that if you are arresting people for problem gambling, but if you take away that as a charge, I see that as more resources being put into treatment of problem gambling. In the state, you're spending all these resources on, you know, prosecuting and arrested people, you know, but at the same time, Scientific American estimates there could be as many as 20 million problem gamblers in the United States. But that, you know, if you but if you take away the crime, you take away the criminal. Let's also not forget that gambling is actually one of the major illegal sources of revenue for the ma- mafia. Or any of the mob and stuff like that. You take away the crime, you take away the criminal. Mm-hmm. Now you have people who are, you know, even though it's a legal thing and they're 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 legally allowed to bet their paycheck on anything like that. But now you have resources, more resources that if people are problem gamblers and need help stopping, you're not spending again. Taxation is theft, and I would rather not see you know tax money for hardly anything. But if they're going to use it, I would rather it be used on expanding programs and treatment for people who have, you know, a gambling addict. I mean, it's, there's an addiction there like with anything else. And, you know, that means they could actually get some help. But again, gambling is really just one of those few examples of no victim, no crime because, and and the state shouldn't be overseeing that. It's none of their business. Yeah. Yep. Now the I, other- say, I agree, yeah, because yeah. it's a li- the libertarian platform. Of course, I think it's right. Well, yeah, but I, you know, but the thing is, I mean, we've covered parts of the platform that I haven't really been a total agreement with. Right, but yeah, it's, it's fine. But the other one that we're going to get into, to is, I mean, we're going to go into drugs, but like we talk, we're going to talk about prostitution here because this is another one. I'm excited about this one. That is literally <laughs> no victim, no crime. Okay, here's the thing. This is, and I went to another legal help site, hd.org, and in the United States, prostitutes get busted more than Johns or pimps by a huge margin. Yeah. So they're sitting there and they're talking about, well, prostitution is so bad because you've got, you know, uh, pimping them out. Look, at, I agree that, you know, if it's involuntary and stuff like that, that's a whole different. I'm talking about voluntary, okay? There are between, in the United States, between 70 and 80,000 people arrested for prostitution that's costing taxpayers about $200 million a year, okay? Here's the breakdown of the arrest. 70% are female prostitutes and madams, so maybe the ones who run the brothels. But not everybody who's in a brothel, working in a brothel, is there with a gun to their head either. They volunteer, voluntarily do it. Yo, it's good money. Okay. Not that I know from experience, but, but it's good money. It, I, it should you could should be. 20% of the arrests are male prostitutes and pimps, and just 10% of them are johns. 
So, like, the people who are actually committing the most harm when it comes to prostitution aren't even the ones that are getting arrested. Because that equates to nine prostitutes and pimps being arrested for every one customer. So the laws, these prostitution laws are also not being applied to, to you know. And here's the other thing, too, is that, like, they it these are such the easiest busts that I see these police make because they actually, like, set up an ad for prostitution services like they'll sit there in, in a hotel room, a guy coming into the thing is thinking about, you know, buying a prostitute and he's getting entrapped right in there, like soliciting prostitution. But it's just like, first of all, this is what you're spending a police officer's time on. You're having them hide out and and catching guys who, you know, can't get laid unless they pay for it. Well, I mean, it's not your business. Yeah, they're, and, they're having a bad enough time already. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing. Or I've actually seen where they've set it up for you know where they'll actually act like people who are going to be customers to try to trap these prostitutes first of all okay it's a buyer and a seller okay if a person is offering up why a person can't offer up their body for sale for sexual services in return for payment that's their business yeah it's their body being offered their body their choice their body their choice uh it's if it's through coercion, there is a problem there. There, there there's a big problem there. Yeah, um, and that uh, that also tie into the drug conversation. I'm it, sure it, it will. Um, but the thing is, is that what? But the thing is, is that you can't. There's not anything inherent. I mean, I'm I'm stepping away from moral arguments here for a second. But on a legal basis, there's nothing inherently harmful in sex. Okay, and the here the thing is, and I I go back to the whole thing of like. How does this impact my life in any way? If I don't know, I do not know if there are prostitutes and people getting prostitutes in Little Northville. So I'm just saying, like, I don't want anybody thinking. I mean, there could be, but maybe not with money, but with like Clipple subs or something. See, I would actually see like they're oh, club six. sandwiches. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Clipples. That's a, They're actually that's a really whole weird. currency. It's, it's a, a whole currency, currency up there. Right? It, it absolutely is. If you're in Northville, go to Clipples. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> They're not even a sponsor, and that's nope, great. I don't care. It's great. You know, actually, I, though we are very big on promoting small businesses because yeah. they're the ones who are the lifeblood of our. But anyways, we go back to this. But I mean, the thing is, is that like I live in one area of Northville. If some guy at the other end of town calls up a prostitute and has them over to his home. He pays her money. They have sex and she leaves. That could happen without me or anybody else in Northville knowing about it. It'll probably get around. I mean, it's Northville. They'll know, everyone, everyone, everyone will, will know. know. About it. All right, <laughs> let me just give advice to anybody who lives in Northville or any other tiny little village. Don't do that because you're never going to be able to do that anonymously. <laughs> Not in the towns like that. But at the same time, like. That guy is going through, or you know, whoever calls the prostitute is going through his night with the prostitute, while everybody else is completely unaware in my in my house. So it's like, why do I care about this? What actually aggravated me more, and we would see this, you know, working in the news and stuff like that, is that these, these cops would like, you know, especially the state police, like they they've got like they've got they've got entire undercover officers in this big sting operation, and. They like released the mug shots of all the girls who were involved. Mug shots. I'm like, what? This is just public humiliation at this point. And you know what got real interesting is that, yeah, we would post the links out on 
on social media and stuff like that to drive web hits and stuff like that. But people get interested in it. But the, you read the comment section and like early on when we were doing this, like before people were just like, oh, good, get them up off the streets and look at these perverts and stuff like that. And then the conversation was like, is it really necessary to put these people on blast like that? I mean, if, if people really want to know, they can they can file a FOIL request. And then they can get that information. Well, I, I'm not saying withholding of the public information, but it's not like, withholding. It's just not publishing it. That's all. It was, you know, and that's what. Uh, it's yeah. your job to report news. Yeah. Is that really newsworthy? It, it is if it winds up becoming like a significant talker, you know. In, right. Oh, like a like uh, Elliot Spitzer hiring a prostitute. Yeah. Th- then it, that becomes noteworthy, or um, like whoever the mayor of Gloversville is doing it. I don't know who the mayor is right now. I have no idea. With, and it's not soliciting a prostitute, you know. But I'm just saying, like, it got to a point where, like, I, I, oh, I was not insinuating that the current mayor is oh, soliciting yeah, no, no. a prostitute. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're not insinuating that at all, but you know, but that's the whole thing. But it's so basically the only thing is if, if these are two consenting people, and look at, do I have a concern for prostitutes who are doing this because of a drug addiction, and so they're basically selling their body? You know what? That that's an issue though that has to be dealt with that individual, you know, that needs the treatment and stuff like that to stop. You know, you will stop prostituting if you stop doing drugs because you won't need to support your habit by prostituting yourself out. I mean, there is, you know, but the thing is, if we're develop, we're, we're, we're devoting resources to criminalize sex when what we really should be doing is reallocating these public resources to create an environment where people don't have to do that. Now, you could get rich being a prostitute. You really can. Depending on where you are. So a lot. And if you're good. If you're really good. <laughs> but, you know, so, and I mean, I've also, I, I've I, actually, I say it like I have experience. I really don't. I, I, no. Yeah. I've never been a prostitute, and I don't think you have either. No, and I've never hired one. No, and neither have I. <laughs> so we're, I'm, I'm, I'm taking other people's word for it. Our next point. guest will be someone who has, I guess. I don't know. You know what? That actually was, was a challenge, and I'm going a little bit off topic here, but like back when, way back when I was working for the Gazette as a reporter, there was like an alt weekly uh, magazine in Amsterdam. And so, but I knew the guy who was running it. And we always had this running competition joke that we need to get, we want to do an interview with an actual prostitute. Not a crack whore, not anything, but somebody who is an actual prostitute and just like why like you on the it? relative high end or no, I- just just normal prostitute, you know, that just needs to make extra money or not anybody who's like pimped out or anything, but like the world's oldest profession, you know. But it was a running competition to see if we neither one of us ever got it. I can make you win, and I, I know someone. Well. You know what? And actually, matter of fact, I we I had this discussion and an old friend of mine. Now this actually is here because you know I also am thinking to myself that prostitution. I don't understand how that is any different than pornography, because people who film pornography, I know there's always exceptions to the rules, but for the most part, are having sex on camera for money. Yes. It's because it's on camera. They're getting. Uh, is the argument like uh, they would have had sex anyway? But since it's being filmed, they're getting paid. Is that how That's they get a stupid around? Argument because the thing is, is like they're all porn stars, so they know. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like who am I doing a scene with? Yeah, I have n- I have no idea how what what that legal loophole is. I you know I've looked for it and it it has to do something with like censorship and it's a First Amendment issue. And <laughs> I've stuff also like never that. paid for pornography, but, so I don't know how they make their money. Well, no, it's, <laughs> it, it comes into like a censorship thing. If you ban the pornography, you're banning. Oh, yeah. 
But but see, I'm saying at the heart of it, there really is no difference. No, I mean, not really. You're, you there's have no cameras. Yeah, you, you, but there's still a. It's a consenting. Like I consent to have sex with this person on camera mm. in exchange for money. I'm consenting to have sex with this person at their home in exchange for money. I, it's like it's really not. Yeah. It, it it it's it's it shows the hypocrisy I think in the way that we approach these. Things. Interestingly, and and this just occurred to me. There's no difference between my going and doing manual labor for a day and prostitution. No. Because if I'm going out and I'm lifting equipment or something, and I could potentially throw out my back, break my arm, do any sort of, uh, if, if I'm using my body in some way and someone's paying me to do that, just because I'm not having sex, there's not much of a difference. No, there really oh, isn't. People I mean, say they whore themselves out to the state when they get a state job and well, stuff like exactly. that. <laughs> I was a prostitute for New York State for nine years. There you go. That's right. There's very many forms. The governor of fucked me over and over again. <laughs> But I'm not sure I've actually said that word on this show before. I'm not sure. I might have. You might have. Not in that not in that context, though. Not in that context. I'm sorry, Mom. That's all right. But anyway, so like, and actually, this is interesting because I was I had a conversation. I was actually on social media. Uh, this was probably a year or so ago about like what's the difference between prostitution and you know pornography and stuff like that. And somebody I went to high school with, we wound up actually exchanging private messages to continue the conversation because she was telling me like when she was in college you know you have that stereotypical stripping your way through to pay for college and stuff like that which i've known people who've actually done that myself i was that was a neighbor that i talked about was you know and everything like that that was but she was stripper with the heart of gold yeah they're people too. Yeah, they're people. Okay. Yeah. So, but she was telling me that she had some friends in college who did, the, who took the stripping, you know, type of thing. But obviously, these strippers will often get propositions for a lot more than what they're legally allowed to do. Or, but sometimes, just even for the sheer thrill of it, some of her friends who were like stripping their way through college and stuff like that would agree to be an escort for the night a lot of times because it would be fun. And I don't care. I'm just going to get Go extra Go a fancy party? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, and whatever happens afterward, afterwards. And I mean, some of it is really. So what I'm saying is like these people who are being escorts and prostitutes, a lot of, there's a lot of different reasons for why they're, you know, doing things. I mean, sure. it's just. Was it a pretty woman where he just like needed a good looking date for something? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why he picked Julia Roberts, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's pretty, yeah, the, but probably one of the least convincing prostitutes I've ever seen on camera. <laughs> it's a good movie, though. I actually like it. Just no kissing on the lips. Is that what? Yeah, is that's, that what that that's is? exactly what it is. Yeah. But again, now this is you know, so we're so we we're pretty much establishing that, like you know, now I do not want to talk about you know, I'm not throwing in. You know, like the human trafficking, like the women, young women and girls who are brought across the border illegally and they're pimped oh, out to. That's slavery. That's that's, different. That, that's slavery. Yeah. It's it's it, it's sexual slavery, but it's slavery nonetheless. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And uh, drug muling is the same thing. If, yeah. Uh, which uh, drugs shouldn't be illegal anyway. And if you make drugs legal, you won't th- have this. Then that goes away. Yeah. Well, and here's the really concern right here, okay, is that according to this website, this HD.org that we were looking at, is prostitution is actually more dangerous than being an Alaskan fisherman, a locker, or an oil rig worker. <laughs> These numbers are great. It is great. Okay. The death but, but 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 concerning nonetheless. But the death rate for prostitutes is two hundred and four out of every one hundred thousand. And for fishermen, it's hundred and twenty nine out of every one hundred thousand. They should make deadliest catch two, but it's about 
I guess STDs. Yeah, STDs. Yeah. That's well. And the thing is, is that the average prostitute, though this and this bothers me too, gets physically attacked approximately once a month. Okay, you know why? Because there, there's no protection for them because they're committing a crime. They can't go to the police about it. They cannot go to the they police about it. They could go to their pimp about it. Or the thing is, is that they would go. If what happens is that you go to the, either their pimp about it, or they actually, in exchange for something else, will seek somebody from the underworld to protect them, which is why the mob, and not just Italians, which is why there's a lot of mob activity yep. in prostitution because these these prostitutes have to pay protection money because they're not protected by law like they should be, okay? That's the other thing. And you know what? As much as I don't like... like a, uh, was it nature of horrors of vacuum, but so yes. does humanity? Yes. So, like, there's no, there's a vacuum of protection against uh, against prostitutes, and yes. so the people that filled that void are also criminals. Yes. But real criminals, not just prostitutes or drug users or drug dealers, but the mob. The mob, and or you know, or you or the people who, you know, run these rings that come out of Mexico with these girls, or you know, just anything. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got cases where, you know, I mean, how many times have we actually seen it where we've had young girls, you know, locked in, you know, some douchebags basement for how long you know used as sex slaves and everything like that that's not the kind of thing that i don't I, we should be going full bore out of it but it's not because the prostitution should be legal is because it's other forms of criminal like you said slavery things like that so you know and I, as much as i know i want to get into a little bit of like the regulations too because i mean if you legalize prostitution hey they have they'll have resources you know to be able to get themselves even if they have to pay for it themselves, but you could get your own health insurance to cover things. Mm. Uh, you know, the government actually could set like health code. I was going to say, thinking of health code would be interesting because how regulated would we want prostitution? Well, I mean, I would say that you know you can't knowingly have like a venereal disease or an STD and not disclose that to whoever you know your customer would. Be. I I almost think that's. Um... This is just coming from an episode of Law and Order SVU from like 15 years ago, but I think there's some aspect of the law that makes it so if you don't disclose um, a positive HIV status, then you could be considered a criminal. Yeah. Reg uh, whether it's prostitution or anything. Yes. Um, I don't know what statute that is. Well, but because you're you're knowingly putting another person at risk. Yeah. Obviously, if you don't know you have it, then you, you don't know, know you but, have it. But think about it. I mean, you know, I mean, and obviously. Libertarians are not completely anti-government regulation. Yeah, it's the, just the ones that you know. Those we, are anarchists, not yeah, libertarians. Yeah, we, you know, I mean, libertarians. I'm not don't, telling you. I'm telling yeah, anyone. Anyone the, out there? Yeah. Anyone who's going to argue it. But like, here's the thing: you can't operate a restaurant unless you have certain code codes that are you know being followed. You know, health and safety guidelines because you're serving food to people, and if it's bad food you're going to get them sick and put them in harm's way. So, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, almost the same philosophy could be applied to the prostitution because it's like, okay, you could be a prostitute, you know, but you have to get, like, tested every six months to make sure that you're, you know, or at least, even if it's once a month to make sure that you're right. free of STDs and, and venereal let's, diseases. Let's take the, the – there's no better word for um, pimp. Like, there's no, no. Uh, there's no word for it that doesn't have, a like, a derogatory connotation, but – if you if you're a prostitute and your your pimp or your madam is a good person, a good a business owner, yeah. good manager, then they can actually take whatever they're cut from each of their um each of their prostitutes and they can do a 
they go like, hey, we're going to pay for your testing. We're yeah. going to do this. This is why you should work for my stable of horse. Well, horrible but, but these brothels say. and stuff. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, but you look at some of these brothels and stuff like that. But, I mean, I'm also thinking to, like, okay, if you want to operate a brothel and you are, you know, and I'm telling you right now, these, like, you see a lot of these shows, like, about the, in Vegas and Reno with the brothels and stuff like that. And, you know, Everybody knows what those places are for. It's to go get laid, and you have to pay to get laid. That's exactly what it's for. There's there's no couth way of saying it, but, you know, you could have it so that, like, in a, one of these brothels, like, every room that's used for whatever has an adequate supply of birth control protection, you know, any type. You know, I'm talking about, you know, condoms, anything else that, you know, that, that those things are provided mm-hmm you know, there for you and everything like that. You can have, you know, mandatory drug testing to make sure that drugs aren't getting involved with it. I mean, those are all the things that are legally, employers are legally allowed to do already with their employees to make sure that their work environment is safe. But the thing is, is that in most of the country, because this is illegal, who are you going to go to? Remember that line from Goodfellas that these guys are, you know, they're 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 cops for the people who can't go to cops. I haven't, okay. I haven't seen Goodfellas, but that's really what it was. It's an outfit that protects people who can't go to the cops. But that's also that criminal element. Good in it. mobsters, good mobsters. But you wouldn't even need that. You know, that's right. what I'm saying. You wouldn't even they need just that. go to the cops. So that's just another example about a, you know, a victimless crime. We have talked about, you know, the drugs on here, and I think it's worth, you know repeating some of this that especially the racist war on drugs and the libertarians believe that it is essential part of any plan to improve our justice system you know we this it's disproportionate people of color it's not only more you know i mean it's it's the government here is so way off base and so out of their constitutional control that it's ridiculous because it's not the government's job to tell you what you can and can't put up you can't put in your body including a penis Yes, See? prostitution. There we go. Bam. That's how I tied it into drugs. I did perfect. <laughs> no, but it's perfect. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's my body, my choice, and all things. So you know, look at and we just look at the numbers. Okay, every twenty-five seconds, somebody in America is arrested for drug possession. Okay, Tri- American possession arrests has tripled since nineteen eighty, reaching a po- one and a half million in two thousand fifteen. Okay, that's possession. That's six times the number of people arrested for sales. You're getting people who are basically carrying. Okay, one fifth of the total prison population is incarcerated on a drug charge and another million and a half are on probation uh, or on parole for a drug conviction. We've spent one trillion since fighting this drug war. And what have we actually won? We have not won anything. Drugs are still around. Meanwhile, what's happening is that you are, you know, you're throwing black and Latino men into prison who are serving way longer sentences than white people because you put minatory minimums on crack, you put it, you know, and make crack different. By the way, I also want to keep noting that everybody who was clamoring for criminal justice reform, that's what they were rioting for, and that's what was going on in these cities, decided to elect a person who wrote the laws that have actually irreparably damaged generations of people of color. Okay, that's your president of the United States. That's who you wanted. Nice work. Nice work. Oh, by the way, you know, since he's also got one foot in the grave and you know his vice president is itching to get into that slot. uh, First of all, President Biden, please hire a food taster. (laughs) Oh, man. What a horrible job that would be. Uh, That would be a very horrible job. But but you elected a vice president who abused those laws, who put 19,000 black men in prison on marijuana, nonviolent marijuana charges. 
Okay? So, we, I, I, don't, we, I mean, we could go on and on about this because we've really gone into We've hammered that yeah, home. We, we've hammered it times, home, but yeah. I just, it's worth repeating that, you know, I can't, and that's the other thing. Now we could tie it in with the prostitution because you have a lot of people who are prostituting to support their drug habits. Most people have bad drug habits because drugs are illegal. If you put the money into, you know, that's the whole thing that a lot of studies have actually said is that people are more likely to want to do illegal stuff because the thrill of everything. Well, if you legalize drugs, you probably are going to wind up reducing actually addiction rates because that's actually what happens because more resources, again, are being spent in prevention and treatment of these things. So you know what? You have fewer drug addicts walking the street. You have fewer drug addicts who feel the need. And that's not just, I. you know what? I've known guys who used to actually prostitute themselves out for, to support their drug habits. Turning tricks for heroin. That's a that's yeah. an old old story. It's an old story. Yeah. But I want to note that it's not just women who are doing that. There's yeah. men who do that too. So, I mean, so that's what I'm saying is like you're, you're, you're just keeping our prisons jammed, which, by the way, not you're, you, let's take a nonviolent drug offender, throw them in prison with violent felons. How are they going to turn out? Yeah, they're they're either going they're going to get the shit kicked out of them, or they're going to become one of them. Well, and it was you know, I like again, I I love the movies, but Shawshank Redemption. It was like on the outside, I was an honest man. I had to come to prison to become a crook. Yep. And and it's just you know the system is actually we talked about this before is set up for inmates to fail once they're released. So yeah, there's there are, people have tried, but there's really no good system to get them reintegrated into society. No, not 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 nationwide at least. I know that there are agencies that do things like that. But you know but... what? The agencies that do that wind up getting accused of being soft on crime, and it's like no, we actually want. I mean, I let's, I, let's get rid of the crimes. Well, then you, you know, we, we, interestingly, if you you get rid of prohibition of both prostitution and drugs, right? Just general possession and use, um, then you actually dry up a lot of revenue for organized crime. Uh, actually, you want to throw gambling in that too. All those yeah, three all things the, that we mentioned. Things. Okay, wh- who's running behind the illegal gambling operations? It's always some underworld, some organized crime that's going on there. A lot of prostitution is being conducted and run by organized and, crime. And the black market is is generally speaking a black market. In some cases, uh, are are especially in cities is heavily influenced by the mob. Yeah. You get rid of those you get rid of prohibition of those things and you r- get rid of a lot of the revenue for organized crime and the, it's like we haven't learned anything from the 20s. No. Still, and I mean but, it's, it no still and I mean that's 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 the whole point here is that like you those are like the three are three primary sources of income for organized crime. And we're not just talking about, like, the mob, but I'm also talking about the drug cartels. And you know what? I'm even bringing it all the way down to the street-level gangs. Sure. Because the vast majority of street-level gangs, even though they might have been originally formed as a protection against other gangs, it's all drug-related. It's all drug-related. If it, if it didn't start that way, it got that way. It, it got that way. So basically, you... You take away and decriminalize all of those victimless crimes and just make them not crimes anymore. The ripple effect of that, it, it, you know, is just immeasurable because it's you're just going to be getting rid of a lot of, you know, you don't need a criminal organization if there's no crimes to be committed. That's again, who's filling that void? It's crime. Yeah. You know, Heart, vices like gambling, prostitution, drugs. I mean, they are vices and stuff like that, but because they're illegal. Somebody else is going to step in to fill that need, mm-hmm. and and that's what's going to happen. You get rid of the crime, you get rid of the void. You get rid of the void. So now this is an interesting part of 
you know, as far as that, we've talked about the crime a little bit, but we're, now we're talking about the punishment. And one of the, and this is something I actually found interesting is that, Anyways, this is what the platform says. We support restitution to the victim to the fullest degree possible at the expense of the criminal or negligent wrongdoer. I absolutely love this. I put this as my third bullet point, but I'm actually going to bring this up because it's in a fully restitution-based system, there would be no crimes. Their place in the legal order would be filled by intentional torts. So their intentional acts involving the initiation of force, fraud, or coercion only such acts would justify pursuing restitution from the offender. So, I mean, we're not talking about, like, no crime. Well, I mean, it is no crimes, but they're being redefined that as things that, in, you know, that impose force or fraud upon somebody else. Okay, getting rid of the victimless crimes. So, the, so basically what this gets into is that when a criminal violates another person's rights, the cost should be reflected onto the criminal. OK, this isn't up to the state to pay the person back. This isn't. you know, And whatever that form of restitution is, if it's imprisonment, if it's, you know, whatever. But all those costs should be borne by the offender. It's not the other per anybody else's responsibility. But doing so through publicly imposed punishment rather than restitution, it reflects negative consequences to taxpayers and it fails to compensate the victim for the harm or injury he or she has suffered. OK, you know, that, and that's the one thing. I mean, you know, we're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to, for these guys to get three hots in a cot. What, what's the, you know, and, and, and you know what, I'll tell you right now for a lot of these guys, the living situation in these prisons are better than what they had on the streets. So what's the, I mean, outside of the loss of freedom, but I mean, you know, other than that, I mean, they get three square meals of a day. They get a bed to sleep on. They've got television. Television. I mean, all they have workout equipment. They have educational possibilities for free. Yeah. And see, and the problem is, is that like, like let's also say like, if there's like a violent assault or something like that, it doesn't even, you know, that person I think has an, as an obligation to pay for the other person's medical costs, you know, and that's the problem is that like, you know, you get the crap kicked out of you by somebody. The guy gets arrested and put in jail for a couple of years, but you have whatever, you know, the medical treatment to recover from the assault and stuff like that. Why should you pay for that? That's not your, that's actually re-victimizing you. And that's victimizing somebody, you know, over and over again, and they really shouldn't. So, you know, and then also let's talk about the costs that arise as a result of the police and prosecutors to convict the offender. You know, um, or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of an instance that we had this around here of a young woman uh, who, you know, they, they concocted this thing about how she was abducted from her home around here or from a camp up north and everything like that. And it turned out that she was basically under investigation for uh, she's a home health care aide and was under investigation for stealing pills from her clients and stuff like that. She had a drug problem, you know, and everything like that. But, you know, all of the resources and time and energy because she was reported missing. So the police searching, the cop, you know, the, you know, everything like that. I believe that she should be held liable for those costs. Increase her taxes. Yeah. Only her taxes, not yeah. mine. Because you have to pay the state back for every – and you have to pay back the local police agencies for the time and effort and the resources that they used to find somebody who wasn't really kidnapped. You gotta, they have to make sure that that kind of um, – <laughs> my increase the taxes on criminals thing has to never be abused. Right. Because if someone says, oh, 
I'm responsible for that, but I haven't done anything. Then my taxes go up for the rest of my life, and I didn't actually do anything wrong. It's the same thing with going to jail yeah. without doing something wrong. Well, and honestly, I mean, you know, a lot of these guys going to jail is like the easier punishment for them. You know, and we've talked about it. More for, than the taxpayers pay for it. Yeah, because we're all paying for it. I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know what? If you are born, you know, with, you, you know, you develop bad health conditions or something like that as a result of your behavior in prison, the taxpayers should not be on the hook to cover your cost to the hospital. And that only not includes the hospital treatment, the cost of transporting you and having a guard with you at all times, which is not the, like, here's the thing. you When you transport a prisoner for, you, you know, for medical attention in a hospital, a guard has to be with them at all times. That includes if they have to be admitted to the hospital, yep. you have to have an officer with them at all times. It, also is not the same officer that transports you from two you know you have the escort and you have the guy who just to drive you back and forth to these things okay that's a lot of cost that's in you know involved i like the idea of work details not that legalized slavery type of stuff but i'm talking about like for community improvement projects like i don't have a problem with you know a county taking some inmates out of their jail to clean up litter from the roadways and stuff like that. It's not cheap prison slave labor. That's actually, I feel that's a form of restitution. It's like, okay, you harm the community for what, for what you did. You are going to work to help improve the community, make it better. When there's legitimate harm sure. involved, like Kamala Harris's uh, ma marijuana brigade that helps fight forest fires. That's um, not, thank you for helping to fight the forest fires, but, that's but, not your job. That's yeah, um, but like legitimate, just basic community service, like cleaning up roadways, yeah. cleaning up parks. <sighs> any, any non like not unskilled, but like any very basic community service things, things like you would do like for community service during your participation in government class. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and obviously you'd have to determine like which inmates could actually do that. And yeah, I'm not sending pedophiles into a park to clean up. No, no, no. You know, but we're just talking no, about. I send pedophiles into the wood chipper. Yes, feet first. <laughs> it's why I could never actually be on regular talk radio because <laughs> yeah. I think that my position on pedophiles and politicians and wood chippers. We're trying not. to fill that gap that Rush Limbaugh left when he died. Yeah, yeah, and we're no. doing not a very good job. No, I don't want to. I don't. I don't, don't want to be him. No. So here's the thing: it comes. It basically comes down to the fact that you know, and it's a correct argument by libertarians is that restitution is a fundamental right. It is part of the structure of liberty. And you have an author, Murray Rothbard. He's derived that the right to receive restitution from the right to punish, which in turn derives from the right to self-defense. So it's basically like you have the right to protect yourself even after a crime is said by making it that person's responsibility to provide restitution. So I actually thought that was kind of interesting, you know, because, again, it also eliminates the victimless or consensual crimes. And it does not systemically victimize those actions that do not violate the rights of others because what kind of restitution does a prostitute have to give? You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'll pay the guy's money back. Well, that's not what you agreed to. So I actually thought of that was I thought that was really interesting to me because it's like, you know what? You, you do eliminate a lot of crimes by doing it that way. So anyways, moving on in the thing, uh, we have section four now that I get to, and it said, and there's the quote again from the uh, the platform directly. The constitutional rights of the criminally accused, including due process, a speedy trial, legal counsel, trial by jury, and the legal presumption of innocence until proven guilty must be preserved. To me, this is the most important. 
important arm of law enforcement when you are go setting about you have got to follow all of those because due process laws are in the fourth and 15th amendments to the constitution which means you legally have rights that are designed to protect you and it actually protects the individual from arbitrary deprivation of life liberty or property by the government except as authorized by the law so the U.S. Supreme Court interprets the clauses, these clauses broadly, especially the, the, the uh, we're talking about the due process clause right now in the two amendments. Um, and they have determined that they provide three protections, procedural due process in civil, civil and criminal proceedings, substantive due process, which is a prohibition against vague laws, and as a vehicle for the incorporation of the Bill of Rights, those 10 wonderful rights at the beginning of the Constitution that you know, are granted to us naturally. They're not granted to us by the government. We, the people, again, are the ones who give the rights to govern. It's not the other way around. But that's why this is winds up becoming so much important because we, and, and it's amazing because the thing is, is that the criminal justice system, I've said it before, is counting on you not to know your rights and therefore you not protecting yourself as prescribed to you under the Constitution, Okay. And we have all sorts of due process violations that not only happen on a daily basis, but they wind up becoming generally accepted by the public. You know, again, we're talking about the Patriot Act, wireless, you know, war wiretaps. I mean, that people are just allowed to secretly spy on people without any recourse. I'm going to say that DWI slash registration, whatever, quote, checkpoints by police is another due process violation because they're trying to look into your car without having a warrant. That's all it really is. You, it's not supposed to make, you were supposed to catch, you know, you don't just sit there and shoot, you know, fish in a barrel here. The laws are supposed to make law enforcement's job more difficult because you want to make sure that the right people are getting, you know, charged and prosecuted and not just this broad stuff, you know, trying to entrap people. Okay, and I'm going to give you something here. The red flag laws, and this is something that's actually been promoted by Republicans and Democrats alike. So I'm taking aim at both of you is when it comes about, you know, go, you know what you can certain things that raise red flags that would prohibit people from owning a gun, which is, you know, it's protected by the Second Amendment. All gun laws are infringements. Okay, but these laws are being championed is that their supposed purpose of keeping guns out of the hand of dangerous people. In other words, we really want to do this for everybody's protection. So we're going to make these laws up so that we make sure the bad people don't get guns. But what happens is, is that the laws really do is that it puts your rights in the hands of government officials. Therefore, they're determining what rights you have and what rights you don't. And that's a major, major problem. So... Like, the thing is, is that I think it's a bad idea. I think we can all agree that it's a bad idea to let rapists, thieves, and murderers decide their victim's level of protection. Agreed. But if the government should one day turn against the people, and you know what? That is becoming less and less of a conspiracy theory and more and more of, you know what? This is actually happening. Um, do, you know, do we want it left in charge of deciding who is too dangerous to own a firearm? I don't think it's a government. I don't want the government deciding that. No. At all. And should the government be able to take your guns without convicting you of a crime? Because here's the thing this is the other about this. And we've seen this abused already so, because civil, teachers. Civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. 
Well, and, and the thing is, is that we've seen it even like with this in pandemic and stuff like that. Cops are getting called to people's homes because they legally own firearms. But teachers have been seeing glimpses of, you know, a gun cabinet or whatever when they're doing video conferencing with their, you know, this is getting, you know. But so but the thing is, is that all of a sudden these laws are saying, well, if there are enough red flags, then we can come and take your guns away. Well, but I have an illegal I've illegally I my guns are legally owned. Yeah. Why you, you, you know, it's really funny. What? I have a I have a friend who has a gun cabinet. Yeah. But it's full of bongs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting That's uh, probably more socially acceptable <laughs> than actually having That would be an interesting experience when the cops show up to to take all the guns away. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, so this is what I'm you know, getting at here is that like you don't realize that like this is such a bad idea to give allowances like this and again this ever since the patriot act especially in 2001 when that was passed we need to be able to cut catch the terrorists we can't let the terrorists win if you haven't done anything wrong you don't have anything to hide well here's the thing just because the government has the ability to spy on me as far as like what i like to shop for online doesn't mean they should yeah that's a big difference Okay. They're like, man, does Jeff really need another microphone? Really? Yeah, really? Yeah. They're really judgy. Really judgy at Fort Meade. They, they're very judgy. And, and believe me, my, my assigned FBI and NSA agents probably have bigger things to worry about with me than how many guns <laughs> that I... I don't own any guns, actually, so... But anyways, I want to talk about interesting, though. This is, has to do um, about warrantless thermal imaging. There was a 2001 Supreme Court case called Kylo versus the United States. Not to be confused with Kylo Ren... <laughs> Which implies the existence of a Kylo Stimpy. <laughs> <laughs> we might as well crack some jokes. I never, I've, I never watched Run and Stimpy. <sighs> I know it exists. It's know, very, it, very good. The show looks like it smells. It, it's such, it's a, it's so bad, it's good. It, it is. So, anyways, what happened was <laughs> is that they used the government had used warrantless wireless therm, thermal imaging, basically to detect signs of marijuana growth inside a suspect's house. If you don't, it, it, we, we get into this, you see it a lot during the fall when the marijuana crops are coming in. When you see the state police flying over by, what they're doing is they're looking for marijuana crops that are getting ready for harvest. And what they use is thermal imaging because marijuana will give off a certain radiation signature or radiation signature, heat signature that they can detect. Well, they did this to this place. Um, and it detected only heat radiating from the external surface of the house. So they were saying that the no warrant was needed to do this. But in other words, since the telltale, telltale heat was basically discernible from outside of the property, the fourth amendment didn't apply is what they were arguing protection from illegal searches and seizures. Now, Justice Antonin Scalia, which, by the way, this is one of those things where he and Ruth Bader Ginsburg agreed. So this was a bipartisan majority. He was rejecting that dubious theory about it because they say his and what this is what he wrote. Whereas here, the government uses the device that is not in general public use to explore details of the home that would previously have been unknowable without physical intrusion. The surveillance is a search and is presumptively unreasonable without a warrant. So the application of this presumption of in innocence too is very inconsistent and it's very it's lacking in, in a lot of cases here and this is just one example of it but I'm going to give you and I remember that this had actually happened when I lived in North Carolina because we lived there in about the time there was the uh, the, the Duke Lacrosse case. It was in 2006 and what was was basically three white members of the Duke Lacrosse team were accused of raping a black woman at their party. She was a stripper. 
not that it's a crime to be a stripper, okay, or anything like this, but it, but they were false accusations, okay. But I, you know, but the thing is, is that the athletes here now they were destroyed by the media that was down there, and I can tell you right now, having lived down there when that was going on, these guys' lives were ruined. Okay, you had the new Black Panther Party coming up, you know, to, for and creating tense situations. The Rainbow Coalition of Jesse Jackson was paying for, you know, the accusers, and it and it just turned, you know, the college president suspended the entire lacrosse season. Okay, it, it was just, you know, the coach was forced to resign. Photos of team members posted around campus receiving death threats. The three accused actually had to leave school. It's like cancel culture for lacrosse before cancel culture. Yeah, and it really was. And it turns out that this all happened, by the way, before this thing got the courts. Once it got to the courts, it was very clear the rape never even happened. The DNA evidence, other witness testimonies, and inconsistencies in the accuser's story all pointed to the player's innocence, but the damage had already been done. That is something that we've really got to watch out for here. And that's just one case yeah, of trial is, by this media. This is before social media had taken over the entire world. Absolutely. Too. I don't, like Facebook was a thing. MySpace was a thing. But MySpace like, was still a thing. It was more... Uh, Facebook was just starting. It was only point. in the colleges, yeah. and you needed a direct invite from someone who was already there. Absolutely. Um, so... So this is before social media, before Twitter, I think, even existed. Yeah. And so, so this is just basic news coverage that did this. Now we have everything going at the speed of light. Uh, we had something similar happen in, uh, in New Albany a couple of years ago. Yes, and we could talk about that. It was that they, there were three black women who accused. Uh, you know, it's a great thing, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I remember that very vividly, too, is that there were three black women on this bus that you remember, and they were they, they accused um a bunch of white people or a couple of white people for like spitting on them starting a fight and rate you know hurling racist slurs at them and stuff like that and again you had big vigils that were happening the 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 students who were allegedly involved were kicked off campus and blah 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 and then it turns out once they saw and and I'll tell you right now again because it fed into the narrative that black people are always unfairly targeted by white people which not, it happens. It happens. It probably happens more than we see. But then we also get situations like like this, this where it was already assumed that they were okay, and then even that that it was they saw that on video surveillance that not only did that stuff never, and other people on the bus were saying these girls were the aggressors. These girls were the aggressors. You saw it right on the video surveillance tape that these girls were the aggressors. Okay, but again, the damage had already been done. And I remember, and it just, it feeds into this narrative. And you want to know what happens is that when you have real cases of overt racism towards somebody, ah, this is just a boy who cried wolf again. Yeah. You know, and that's what, and so real justice doesn't get done. So, I mean, you know, that's the whole thing is that, first of all, you know, the cops are out to prove you are guilty. You know, there's no presumption of innocence from a cop or a prosecutor. OK, but it doesn't help when people are being tried in the court of public opinion and having, you know, what was it? Um, Judge Kavanaugh. Remember his his so believe all women. And then they get this accuser on the stand who basically I mean, basically his crime that they figured out was that he drank a lot of beer in college. OK, <laughs> I mean, and it, you know, her this testimony from this woman was completely unreliable. It was completely, you know, I mean, she, you know, she couldn't remember anything. But so she insisted that it happened. And what happened was is that this guy's entire family was just destroyed. Now, I'm going to say 
I disagreed with the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh, and I disagreed with his appointment to the Supreme Court bench, but that's because he's terrible on the Fourth and Sixth Amendments. It yeah, has nothing different to, reasons for different reasons. It's like Justin Amash voting for impeachment for the right reasons. Yes, for the yes. right reasons. It was like you know this was you know it, it, there were there were right reasons to oppose it, but again, so basically this guy, and not only this, you know, I mean, you, you think about it, his wife, his kids. All to sit there day after day had to read that, that their dad was a sexual predator when he really wasn't, you know, or at least there's been no credible evidence, you know, that, that proved that. And but it would, it didn't matter. It was all about the assassination of that character. And they got, you know, they got their they got their pound of flesh. And, you know, and it's like he's damaged goods. You know, his family probably needs, you know, they they've probably they had to you know, upend their entire life for a false accusation. So anyways, that presumption of innocence is so, so important and we really have to start sticking with this because we have people who are unfairly being targeted for criminal prosecution or, you know, destruction in the court of public opinion or in the media and it is the most ridiculous thing because we are vilifying people before we know all the facts. And because, you know what, everybody wants to be first and guess what, we have the narrative that says white people are mean to black people and white men are mean to w women and that's just the way it always is and it's when narratives become more important than facts yeah it's interesting because in in justice there's um <laughs> just justice and there's social justice i don't know why i just put those and two the two are together. usually mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah like so in, in the justice system, you're innocent until proven guilty, or you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. When in social justice, you're guilty until proven until innocent, proven and innocent. then it's too late. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's, it's, it's as simple as because that. Because you and, can count. I mean, and, and, and you know what the thing is, is that I want to believe all women. But if you keep trotting out ones who are just making crap up, which one am I going to believe? Yeah. I want to believe, and there is significant. Now, listen, there's significant evidence to say that, you know what, there are ways you could pick up if a woman's story is credible about it. You know, there are, I've, I've heard credible accusations of sexual assault against other politicians, including our current president yeah, and our um, former president. Tara Reid, the actress, when she was working as a staffer for the Biden administration, or not the Biden administration, but she worked for, I think he was the VP at the time. Yeah. Or, no, he, he was in Congress. At Congress, the time. yeah. Uh, I believe Tara Reid. I did. Uh, but uh, I guess it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, but the thing, but the thing is, is like you know, you believe that you know, and and honestly, I thought a lot of the accusations about actually, well, I believed most of the allegations that were levied against Donald Trump, but that was sort of different, and not different like it, it, it more of the sense like, okay, yeah, but we kind of already knew that, <laughs> you know, right? And those most of those accusations were just um. Like to show that he's a deplorable person. I don't know. Which if, everybody knew that. Not, not not many of them were actual like sexual crimes or harassment. No, but I also do believe minus that prostitution. He, well, yeah, I mean, but that I, should and, be and like here's anyway. the thing: do I think that obviously he banged a porn star? Of course I do, and paid her hush totally. money. Of course, he absolutely. Did. Oh, but it was if it was filmed, then it was legal, right? Well, apparently. I don't want to see that one. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there are times that I do believe, you know what? And the thing is, is that if you weed out also the cases that only forward the narrative that, you know, white men are just the biggest, you know, criminals in this country here. Well, OK, then the times that those actually happen. See, the thing is, is that I push and libertarians push for the strict interpretation of the Constitution because we want real victims of real crimes to get the justice that they deserve and have them protected. And the more and more we chip into this, the less and less that happens. 
anyways, now this is this is an interesting thing which I'm I'm very big on too. And this is section five of this is that we assert the common law right of juries to judge not only the facts, but also the justice of the law. This is what we're calling jury nullification. Okay, you've heard this term actually when, uh, and it's been, it's been brought up a lot during the um, Black Lives Matter protests and the police brutality protests about, you know, the different laws that they could be like, you know what, jurors can fix this because juries can nullify unjust laws that are unfairly targeting black men or, you know, whatever the situation is, is because, you know, like the jurors, their primary function is obviously to render a decision based on a person on a person's guilt or innocence based on the facts presented in the court. However, but they also have the right to examine and assess the law itself and independently deciding whether a law is just or whether they ought to give it force. Of course, you need to have the majority of the jury to do that. Though. You do need the majority yeah. of the jury to do this. But this and and here's the thing. And you're kind of like, well, wait a second. What makes them, you know. You know, that gives them the right to do that. They should just be basing on the facts of the case. Well, I found you know, there's a perfect example for the Civil War. In 1850, it was part of the slave compromise um, that these fugitive slave law, which is basically required escaped slaves to be returned to their owners, and anybody who wouldn't do it would be prosecuted under the law. That also it included in free states, like if slaves had escaped to a free state and somebody harbored them and they were caught. They st- under that law, that person could be charged with violating the law because the law decreed that those escaped slaves had to be returned to their owner. Okay, well, what a lot of northern juries were doing. Now, you and I would both agree, and by any modern standard, that's a crap law. Yes. That's a garbage law. First of all, violates states' rights to begin with, which the pro-Confederacy people like the crow states' rights. Well, this is not states' rights. But yeah, you can't tell my state what to do if you're in Texas. Well, exactly. But <laughs> Not that Texas was part of the Civil War. Well, well, they were. They were in the Confederacy. I guess they were, yeah, yeah. But were they... Um, they were in Confederacy. They were Confederacy. Oh, yeah, yeah they yeah. were. I, I was thinking... I don't know why I was thinking they weren't a state yet. Oh, yeah, it was just before the Civil War. Um, not too long, but you know. But the thing is, is that they would, they were, they refused to enforce it because they were like, "We're not enforcing this law because the law is unjust." You know what? If they're escaped slaves, and especially if they're in free states, we're not going to do this. But let's also look at, you know, prohibition. This is the alcohol prohibition, and I didn't know this. I was today years old when I did found this out. <laughs> is that juries nullified alcohol control laws almost sixty percent of the time? Leading to the 21st Amendment, they think that jury nullification led directly to that amendment, the 21st, which repealed the 18th Amendment, which prohibited alcohol. Interesting. I didn't know it was that high. Wow. Yeah. So. The people had the power. Interesting. The people are the ones who actually had the power to get that changed. Well, and I mean, you know, the thing is, prohibition didn't stop people from drinking. It didn't. You know, just made you have to get a prescription for it or go to your buddy's basement. But you know what? Here, here's the thing is that like, okay, a juror is looking at, you know, let's say, you know, let's talk about that law that they were talking about earlier with the uh, the Supreme Court case with the illegal surveillance or something like that. If the law allows that, a jury could say, wait a second, that's an unjust law. So we're going to acquit that person of that charge because we're not giving, we're, we're, we're casting aside the law yeah. instead of, you know, the conviction. Man, what are the, what are the chances you'd get a jury to agree to something like that now though? There are some people that don't oppose the Patriot Act. Well, 
there are and actually but we're gonna <laughs> actually, crazy the next section is actually going to show you why that because jurors aren't actually getting the chance mm. and this comes up next which we're going to get into because this is actually the most disturbing part of it it's next but anyway so we had a jury nullification advocacy group um as estimated that three to four percent of all jury trials involve nullification now i will also note that nullification has actually had a tendency to work in reverse and stuff like that you know like protecting you know, like back in the old civil rights era and stuff like that how many you know white people got protected from you know certain prosecution and stuff like that because juries refuse all white juries refuse to prosecute them so there is obviously a drawback to this but if you approach it from its purest form you know i mean and also the thing is is that if you have three to four percent of jury trials involving nullification and i guess a recent rise in hung juries which has gone to from five percent to twenty percent is seen by some as indirect evidence that juries are actually starting to consider the validity or fairness of the laws themselves. Can you explain what a hung jury is for somebody who might not know? A hung jury is basically you need a unanimous decision uh, from a jury in the vast majority of instances in order to convict somebody of a crime. Thank you. If you only have... It was me, by the way. That didn't. Know. Oh, yeah, that's, no, that's okay. Other people might not know anyway. You, you, it requires a unanimous. And so the thing is, is that if you have... Um, you know, one or two people who just refuse and are just refuse. You know, you wind up in a mistrial, hung jury, or whatever. That person isn't convicted, so therefore that person is set free. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, you had the 1994 crime bill that President Biden authorized and Vice President Kamala Harris abused. Okay, you see somebody coming before your court and. He is he has a smaller percentage of possession of crack cocaine, and you know that somebody with a larger amount of powder cocaine isn't facing the same sentence. You could actually vote to acquit that person on that charge because you're saying that particular possession law unfairly targets certain people and it unfairly imposes harsher penalties on in in this case, you know black americans so this is what i'm also wanting to note to anybody who's out there and still is actually with us this far into the show who may be you know of the liberal you know black lives matter anti you know against the cops type of thing in in a, a lot of times the, cop, the libertarians were actually on your side in this thing because we realized that the system is corrupt and needs to be changed yeah we don't like bad cops no we don't like and we don't like bad prosecutors and I, don't bad even, judges. I don't even like mediocre cops <laughs> You know what? If I, I I know a lot of cops. Yeah. I know few very very good ones. Local ones are usually up here local cops are a little better. Yeah. They're a little more in tune to the um cuz this is these are all small communities. Yeah. Um, you go to bigger cities though and it's just it, like it completely changes. Even in Albany, like I didn't know a I didn't know a single um officer's name when I was in Albany living there. Right. None. Well, it's, and I think the problem that you also come into is, I mean, and, and I'll get into this a little bit, too, because what I, you know, it's hard to actually keep control over, you know, like it's easy, like, when you have a department of, like, 30 people. Okay, you could probably keep, you, you'll you know who the bad ones are and who are the good ones, yeah. and bad ones you got to weed but out. But once you have 300-something cops, Or even more so, different. I mean, if you look at LA, Los Angeles, because the LAPD often deservedly gets 
caught in the crosshairs all the time oh, yeah. with this stuff. But at the same time, and I'm listen, when I'm saying this, I'm not excusing any metropolitan police department. But you know what? The Los Angeles City Police Department had, I think, somewhere at one time, like around like 10,000 employees of that police department. That is, you're going to get bad apples in there. Oh, yeah. And they're going to slip through the cracks, which is why I can see why the focus is on these urban police departments. See, my, my thought with um, how like I didn't know a single officer's name when I lived in Albany. I lived there for years. I lived in two different neighborhoods. Uh, there's no like um, there's no attempt by that particular city. I've never lived in New York City or any, oh, mm-hmm. as a kid, I, a baby, a baby, I did, but there was no attempt to get to know the community in which they police. Right, and that that kind of makes them seem like they're out of touch. And that's something we are fortunate up here to have this in smaller areas. Well, yeah, we've talked about it. Like even in the small cities that are around here that have a little bit more crime than where we live and stuff like that, they're still generally small enough that the cops know who the problem houses are, where the problems are. So like they know ahead of time, oh, we got a call from this address. Okay, we might want to suit we, up we, a little bit more. We know what we have to do here. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, I, w- I wish there was an easy way to translate that to a large city. Well, and see, but the thing is, is that, that Albany is a large city. Well, not but, but Albany is significantly larger than Gloversville and Amsterdam. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, okay, but be, you can't possibly, and which is why I actually think that, we, that a lot of these larger cities need to go back to community policing, need to start reopening precincts in these neighborhoods where you have the cops who are working there who know the community, who know the, because you know what, if you're coming from a dispatch from, now there are many substations at the Albany Police Department, oh, yeah. you know, but you know, the thing is, is that all they're hearing is the address. And so all they know is the neighborhood. Yeah. And all they know, they don't like, whereas in Amsterdam or Gloversville or Johnstown, or yeah, especially like in Northville and Mayfield, they're like, we know who lives here. We know what's exactly behind that door. And we know, you know, this guy's probably just drunk and disorderly over there. You know, uh, uh, you know, all tra- yeah. not that I drink, but you know, all Charlie's been hitting the sauce again. Let's go over and talk to him and calm him down. They know what's going to happen. You're a cop and you go into some of the, even in Albany, like it's some of the real bad neighborhoods that they have there. And most of these are multi-unit places. So you're walk- you really don't know what you're walking you're, into. You, you know, though, walking into the neighborhood, it's, here's the thing. You might know what, you're walking into maybe with that house, but you don't know what's next door. You don't know what's across the street. And so, therefore... You could have a really jumpy neighbor that doesn't like cops. You, you really could. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden... that, And you know what? If you think about it, a lot of these things get get escalated because everybody's freaking out over it because nobody... You know, it's just... You know, I mean, and and that's what happens why you now have, you know, a cop who's able to get away with or got away with for a while, you know, kneeling on a guy's neck for nine minutes and choking him out while other officers just stood there and watched. I I, I mean, it, it, that's that's why you have that, because you also do. There is a disconnect between the police. There's a disconnect between them and you know, their communities, I think in these larger cities, you've got to have beat cops again. You've got to have, you know, I'm, I'm going off a little bit about the cops, but I just think it's important, you know, I mean, that we, you know, we've militarized our police so much to a, you know, point. And what I remember the one thing that really got me disturbed, my, it's what, like my first image of, of a, a heavily militarized police department was in 2003 when they had the Boston uh, Marathon bombing, that it happened first they shut down a metropolitan area of a couple more million pe- couple million people in a matter of hours yeah like a- after this happened but the other thing was is i'm sitting there and i'm watching like essentially like tanks rolling down these residential neighborhoods and in these streets and everything like this and i'm like wow 
that's not cool. That's not we're supposed to. The police are there to serve and protect. They're not there to be geared up like that. And, you know, I mean, I believe that the cops should have the tools to, uh, you know, you know, protect themselves and stuff like that. But you know what? I don't think the cops should be out gunning the citizenry like that. That's just like how you can't put yourself possibly in a, in a position to defend yourself. But we could go. You know, I but anyways, when we go back to I want to get getting back to the jury nullification, we could get all this stuff in the court. Is that I just want to make it important to remember that just because something is is legal doesn't mean it's right. And like we go back, slavery was legal. Okay, women in this country were legally barred from voting at one point, and it was also legal at one point for companies to employ discrimination in their hiring practices. And I'm even going, you know, not just you know not hiring blacks, not hiring. Uh, you, you know, other people of color, but I mean, remember the old the signs of the Irish need not apply and and things like that. I mean, it's just they allowed to do that. And, you know, just because it was something that was socially acceptable at the time doesn't necessarily mean it was right. And obviously it's not. So, you know, juries actually and, and everybody eventually gets called to jury duty at one time or another. And it's actually good information to know as jurors, you know, going in you know, from now as you get called, you guys wield a lot of power and you guys should learn how to use it because it would make a lot of, it would, it would actually aid our criminal justice system a lot. So we're now, this one is going to be, you know, a little bit long more to talk about. We're going to move on to the next section, which is section six of this is that, and it's the last part of the um, platform on crime and justice. And this is what it says. Um, we oppose the prosecutorial practice of overcharging in criminal prosecutions so as to avoid jury trials by intimidating defendants into accepting plea bargains. So, in other words, what's happening is, and I, I looked this up to forward definitions by another legal resource website called Just Law. And overcharging in a criminal case, excuse me, refers to this tactic by law enforcement, and by law enforcement I also mean prosecutors, Okay, which what they'll do is they'll add additional charges against the defendant that they may or may not be able to approve. So basically, they know it's going to be a stretch if they can get a conviction on that charge. But it they do this to put them in a better position to plea bargain. So you get somebody arrested for one thing that they know that they can convict them on. But instead of leaving it to the hands of a jury, they will add five charges to you, knowing that it's like, well, listen. We'll drop these other charges in exchange. You agree to play, plead guilty to this. You pay the fine. There's your prison sentence. And now, you know, you don't put your case in front of a jury. It's, it was like when I was working at Guitar Center and I would uh, discount a product so they would have the leftover money to buy the extended warranty. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's going to, co the cost is the, uh, um, is the punishment there. Yeah. Like, oh, it's going to be this much. Oh, but we can do this if you'll do this. Yeah, that's, yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's actually coercion. also a com. Think about whenever you go to, and I'm not saying it's a dishonest because there are always a lot of good ones, but there are some bad ones. But think about it like when you go to a car and you go to buy a car from a car dealership. You're not paying what the sticker is going to be. The sticker price is going to be. That's what they tell you it is so they can actually talk you down to the price they really want to sell you the car at. Or they offer you all these extra incentives and stuff like that. Okay, so it's, you know, oh, well, look at how much we're then going to well, save always, you. Always get the gap insurance, though. Yeah. Yeah, because um, <laughs> wreck the car, you don't want to have to pay $10,000 for the rest of it. 
Ask me how I know. I'm just kidding. I always get the gap. And it's nothing against you, car dealers, but we also know that that's actually just, I mean, that's the way you sell cars, you know, but you're also not talking about people's freedom here. So that's why, you know, being a prosecutor is not the same as being a car salesman and nor should it be. So anyway, so we had in 2018, the Pew Research Center, um, there was roughly 80,000 federal prosecutions initiated in 2018. Just 2% of them went to trial. More than 97% of federal criminal convictions are obtained through plea bargains, and the states are not far behind it, 94%. That means only six out of every 100 cases actually goes to trial. You're that, rem- that does save the taxpayers money. It, it does, but is, is it, it justice? It? Yeah, it's not necessarily worth it. So, um, and now, and no, so I'm looking for examples, and actually I, there, there's a, a guy uh, by the name of Clark Niley, he's the vice president for criminal justice. It's a libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute, which is really, I mean, it's more of like a fiscal a policy type of thing, but they get into a lot of, um, you know, a lot of libertarian positions on things. Um, NBC had this op-ed from him um, in 2019. He outlined two problems that happen with overcharging in plea deals. Because like you said, y- yes, maybe it does save the taxpayers money because you don't have to bear the cost of lengthy court sessions and all that stuff. But if my taxpayers' dollars are getting applied to giving someone actual justice, that's that's fine. That's fine. Show me where that money goes. Because here's the thing. The first problem that comes with this is false convictions. Okay. It was once believed that a confession in open court, a guilty plea, was proof positive of a person's guilt. We know now that that's not true. How many times, you know, we have statutes for coercion and, you know, illegally obtained confessions and everything like that. Um, so of the more than three, there was 300 people have, that have been definitively exonerated by the Innocence Project using DNA evidence. Though those people, 11% of them have pleaded guilty to crimes they did not commit since 1989. 11 since 1989 11% of the people who were exonerated were pleading guilty to crimes that they did not commit and actually you know what the thing is is that there's um you know I, I you guys have probably all those of you who have Netflix have seen the uh, making a murderer show and look at I realized that that documentary only showed one side of it and it left a lot of in you know it left a lot of stuff out but I'm thinking not necessarily of Steve Avery because I think the guy's probably a monster and does it belongs where he or is where he belongs. It's his nephew Brandon Dassey, and they were proving throughout. This is the thing that struck me was that he was a seven, 16 year old kid with below average IQ, like basically borderline mentally retarded. I'm sorry for using that phrase, but I don't know the best way to put it. If you're using it in yeah. a clinical way, it's you're using it in way. a clinical way. You know what I mean? And it was just he could barely read. Okay. The way that the cops, you look at the way that they tried to get that confession out of him, there were so many problems with that because they were leading him in questions and things like that. So basically, you're putting the National Registry of Exonerations are saying 20% are pleading. But that's a, that's a, you know, that's the one thing is that, they, oh, we have Brandon Dassey's videotaped confession of everything that happened here. And so therefore, that's enough to convict. And that's, you know, the thing is, that's what the juries will buy into is they'll be like, well, he confessed on camera. Well, you're not looking at the methods at which they're getting that confession and that's actually just as important as the confession itself okay so you've got that is that coercive plea bargaining and this is what this um you know clark niley is saying the other problem with coercive plea bargaining is that it helps cover up an untold amount of prosecutorial misconduct even in the federal system where prosecutors are held to a relatively higher standards there have been a surprising number of amount of misconduct in the handful of cases that end up going to trial. 
So here's a couple of examples. In 2017, the feds had a slam dunk case against Nevada rancher Cliven Bundy for inciting violence against federal officials. This is when they were charging, um, you know, with the, they're fighting the government over ranchers' rights and everything like that, and they had the armed standoff and, you know, the whole, um, what, did, what did they do? Oh, they wound up, uh, you know, overtaking you on empty uh, federal park, you know, building and everything like that. They had it against him, and they unraveled because a judge determined that prosecutors showed, quote, a reckless disregard for the constitutional obligations to seek and provide evidence by withholding documents and misstating facts about the case. They had this guy dead to rights convicted. So where's the thing? Actually, the justice is, is that a guy who should have been tried and convicted had to get his case thrown out because the prosecutors and they they screwed it up and they did not follow the constitutional rights. So here you have a case of a guy who probably should have been convicted under the law, even whether, you know, I usually was on the side of the ranchers on this one. But if you look at the application of the law evenly, you know, what what he did, you know, definitely was a crime. OK. And but the thing is, is that because these prosecutors were so intent on getting the conviction and so they were in they, everything, they actually just got rid of due process at a whim, and it was ridiculous. Okay, so that's somebody who should have probably been prosecuted and convicted and didn't because of these quote-unquote technicalities. Okay, now you have in 2008, the primary, the following year, a jury acquitted Noor Salam. Now, she was the wife of Omar Mateen, who was involved in the shooting at the uh, gay nightclub in Orlando that left, um, it was like at that time, the worst attack on American soil or largest mass murder since 9-11. It was huge, you know, big. But the thing was is that they were charging her as an accessory, but defense attorneys showed that her confession to FBI agents that she helped quote case the club was kind of like basically they were saying she helped her husband commit this act but it was contradicted by her cell phone's geolocation data evidence prosecutors should have shared but did not and the trial judge actually rebuked them for it because they withheld it because they were trying to again get as many convictions in this case and so they were going after the wife for supposedly helping the husband and it turns out that she didn't but the damage again is already done this also highlights a major problem with our excessive plea deals. And the founders were very clear in the Constitution. And when you look at all of the ones, you look at four, five, six, you know, the 14th, all of the, anything that you look at it right there is that the heart of our criminal justice system is citizen participation in the process, in trials. So what is actually happening here by making these plea deals and you know, by over-prosecuting, overcharging, you know, doing whatever you can to just get the guy locked up in jails. Because the thing is, is that what this is doing, it's running up the score on conviction rates. Because, you know, now you have a prosecutor in a lot of cases, you know, most places, counties, district attorneys are, district attorney are, you know, they're, they're run as, they, they run as political candidates. They're elected to office. And a lot of times you get a prosecutor who hangs on to office because they'll sit there and say, I've heard this before in the campaigns. Well, I've got a 99% you know, conviction rate. Okay, that's great. But that also helps when 99% of your cases never make it to trial. So why don't we take a look at what your conviction rate is, you know, 
you know, in cases that are actually brought to trial because it's a cheap way of getting a conviction. It's like teams that score at the end of the game when they're already up 56 to 10 on another team and they just keep scoring touchdowns to run up the score on them. It's, you, you know what? You're taking the people from the process. You're putting it in the hands of the people that are not supposed to have it which is why you've got to watch these excessive plea deals. And I really think, though, that I've seen it popping up in actually some district attorney um, campaigns where the incumbent is actually getting criticized more and more about pleading these things out instead of taking them to trial because they're admitting that justice is not actually being served. And what they're doing is that they're creating an un fortunate burden upon taxpayers, an extra burden by, you know, cramming our prisons, you know, to the full, which is why we have the largest incarceration rate of any country, you know, any civilized country, industrial country, I should say, is how it goes, you know, because they're stacking it to pump up their, you know, they're pumping up their conviction rates. They're putting more people behind bars because then at the end of the day, they could say, look, it, we kept you guys safe, hoping, and it's obviously it's working less and less, which I'm encouraged to hear. What they're hoping for is that the people will look at, oh, let's look at the sausage and not how it was made. You know, and the thing is, is that how those things are made is very much important to the end product. So, just to basically sum up what we wanted to talk about here um, is, first of all, libertarians are not anti-police, nor are we anti-law and order. Libertarians do believe that the system is seriously flawed and needs reform. So this is taken right from the Libertarian website on crime and justice. One of the biggest problems we face today is that many things that should not be considered crimes are labeled as crimes, which we talked about, the victimless crimes. Worse yet, many of these actions are punished more harshly than are violent crimes. Libertarians believe that the label of crime should be limited to actions of force or fraud against another individual or group. We believe that such crimes should be prosecuted and punished by our justice system, but that the actions don't involve force or fraud and should not be or but actions that don't involve force or fraud, excuse me, should not be criminalized or penalized in the first place. It's probably the longest I've had to talk, so excuse me from stumbling a little bit over these words at the end here. But, um, but you know, we've we've kind of talked about this. Is We're that, all very ashamed of you. Very ashamed of me. But, you know, I just I, I really feel like we've kind of beat this one. You know, it's just like th by reforming our criminal justice system and making sure that constitutional rights are protected, limiting the amount of crimes, you know, getting rid of the victims. You know, we need fewer laws, not more on the books. And actually it creates to be more equal justice and equal protection under the law. That includes people of color. That includes women. That includes immigrants. That includes anybody you know, in this country, because again, it goes down to protecting the smallest minority, which is the individual, which is basically saying that a black American has as much right to the full protection of the law as a white American, Hispanic American, Asian, you, you pick it, everybody, you know, gay, straight, whatever, everybody. Ha and I really believe that these type of reforms that we need, um, you know, actually will bring more justice to people like they want, you know, punishments should also be proportional to the crime committed and they should be fair and humane. This is something that does, that gets overlooked, okay? Prison systems across this country are commonly reported in the news for terrible living conditions. This is not true. You know what? And the thing is, is that, you know, people are like, well, who cares? Lock them up. They're still human beings because people do still have rights, not as many, 
when they're convicted of a violent crime or a felony and they sent to prison, they give up some of those rights. But they there are rights that people have, whether they are incarcerated or not. And I and libertarians believe this, and I believe this too. Prisons need to be as safe, clean, and as humane as possible. This is where we're talking about, you know, prison justice and things like that that are going on. Okay, you know what? Prison justice sounds like a really bad reality TV show. Or a really hokey 70s porn. Mm. Ooh. But that would be all girls prison, you know, justice or something like that. But, you know, whatever. But Inmates gone wild. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, basically to just sum it up as we go here to wrap up, you know, we also want to see crimes that are truly crime prosecu- crimes prosecuted and punished. We also want behavior that does not f- involve force or fraud legalized and dealt with outside of the criminal justice system. You know, this gives justice for victims and justice for the accused and convicted. It's, you know, and it's, again, the rights of every person matters, and we don't want to turn a blind eye to the rights of anybody involved, you know, in this greater justice. And so, yeah, it's a lot of a mouthful here, but I really felt it was important to really just do a whole show on one platform position here because libertarians basically, you know, oh, well, you know, the whole move to Somalia because it's a lawless society with pirates and everything. That's not the society that you cannot have a civilization without rules. I'd have an eye patch, though. Peg leg. Peg leg, eye patch, hook hand, and a pirate. As a matter of fact, just as an aside, there was actually at one time, because um, I had gotten a MRSA infection in my leg years ago, and they were like, you were lucky, because if it had gotten into the bone, it was on the shin, which is not a lot of flesh there anyway. Yeah. If the infection got in the bone, they would have actually had to amputate. Yeah, it's staff going to the bone, right? Yeah. That's not good. That's not good. No. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, thank God, and it yeah. but, um, like, we were, I was a little, you know, they were hoping to catch it, and my wife was like, well, what are we going to do if that happens? I said, I am totally getting a peg leg. <laughs> Can we go buy a boat? <laughs> I am totally no. I'm totally rocking a peg leg. I absolutely would if that ever happened. You got to make best of a bad situation, I suppose. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's going to be it. We are actually next week going to finish up this whole you know section on individual liberty. Um, we're going to start it off, um, and this is a good way I think to wrap it up is we're gonna we're gonna go into the death penalty a little bit. The li- libertarians have a have a platform on that you can look at it for yourself or you can wait till next week before we tell you because we'll get into that and then the uh, final part of it is going to be um self-defense which we've also talked about on here in terms of gun rights what rights do you have in your home but we're going to go into that a little bit different uh, are a little bit more expansive uh, next week. Um, and then after that, we're going to be talking about like the economic freedom, which is the next part of the platform, which will probably be several more episodes because there's all sorts of things that are in there involving government spending and debt and taxes, but also like business regulation and stuff like that, which is going to be really important. But anyways, you know, we're going to be wrapping up um, the first part of this uh, series of uh, the first part of the platform of individual Liberty next week. Um, I hope that you guys are actually having as much fun listening to this as I am researching this thing. Um, I told, you know, when I started up my column again, one of the things that, you know, I talked to my wife about this the other day. It's like, you know, I I did the editing thing and everything like that. But deep down, I'm really a reporter at heart. So this is, you know, you see all of this, you know, I'm sure Jeff is like, holy crap, look at all these things he's got in these notes and stuff like that. But But I have fun digging this stuff up, you know. It's it's like like, uh, Captain Kirk was a captain, a starship captain. He didn't need to be, be an admiral. No. He didn't like being an admiral. He liked being a captain. And purposely agreed to demote himself to do that. Well. Kind of. He It was a plea grill. Plea agreement. No, no. They just kind of punished him. 
And well, he was reduced in rank to captain, but did, then they well, gi- they punished him by giving him back control of the Enterprise. He's what he wanted, but he didn't actually yeah. ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember because that was they all... gave him the Enterprise A is what happened. Yeah, that was all I believe at the end of Star Trek Five, which didn't happen. Star Trek Four. Four. That's the, right. The search was, for more money. The search for more money. <laughs> Although I did like Star Trek Four. I loved Star Trek Four. Six Star is Trek my favorite, but Five is horrible. F- uh, five has a good campfire scene in the beginning, yes. and the. Um, that's about it. It's good for character development, but the re- the script is trash. It's and the acting was actually not even very good either. Well, uh, when you have bad dialogue, you got bad yeah, you have bad acting. That's what that's the problem with Star Wars too. This is a weird way to end the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but that's what we're just talking about long episodes. But anyways, so we hope you guys uh, enjoyed this, found it informative and everything like that. And again, I just wanted to also encourage you guys that, I, you know, even those of you who are listening and hate it, we could really use your help, you know, sharing this out until we could figure out a way the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram, which is where you mostly, I mean, we don't even bother with Twitter because at this point, unless you're right on Twitter, when we post a link to this thing, you're not going to see it anyway. So anyways, for Jeff Pitcher, I am Charlie Crable. Uh, Everybody have a good time and we will see you next episode. Later.